You know when you search for something on Netflix, what you get is only a fraction of what they really have? The streaming service actually has more than 18,000 titles globally, but only about 6,000 of those are available in the good old US of A. That means you're missing out on literally thousands of great shows. Unless, of course, you use ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN is an app that lets you change your online location, protecting your devices from unwanted snooping and allowing you to control where streaming services and other websites think you're located. There are over 100 different locations to choose from, which means you have access to thousands of new shows and movies no matter where you live. This doesn't just work with Netflix, it works with Disney+, Hulu, Max, a UK streamer called BBC iPlayer, and more. I was on a work trip in the UK during the final season of Game of Thrones, and I tried logging into my HBO account to watch a new episode, but the technology wouldn't let me because of geoblocking. And I wish I had this app at that moment, because I now realize how incredibly easy it is to work around that problem. Here's a more recent example. It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia is not streaming on Netflix in the US, but I just fired up the episode where Dennis tries to have a peaceful mental health day, and technology keeps interrupting his plans. All I had to do was open ExpressVPN, connect to a UK server, refresh Netflix, and the show just popped up. It's super easy. I've also heard good things about that show called Billions, but I've never been a Showtime subscriber, so I've never seen it. But it's actually available right now on Netflix in South Korea, and with ExpressVPN, it took five seconds to switch over and start checking it out. With ExpressVPN, you get high-quality streaming from devices like your phone, laptop, tablet, and TV, and crucially, it protects your privacy and security to keep your information safe from hackers. Stop missing out on great TV and get thousands of new shows with ExpressVPN. We got them to give you all three extra months free when you use our special link, expressvpn.com slash slash film. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slash film to get three extra months completely free. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Tuesday, May 10th, 2022. On today's episode of the show, we're going to gather around the virtual water cooler and talk about what we've been up to. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. Hey, Brad. All right. So uh, let's get into, we haven't really been doing much. Uh, I celebrated Mother's Day with my mom and family. That was really nice. Yes, um, me as but, well. Yeah, but uh, let's get into what we've been reading. You've been reading something that sounds kind of interesting. Uh, yeah, I started reading uh, That's All Folks, The Art of Warner Brothers Animation. Uh, and this is a book that's it has been around for uh, a while. It's not like a new release or anything like that but i said just just start digging into it because uh recently i've been throwing on like looney tunes on in the background and uh i just have loved watching those since i was a kid and even though the new looney tunes cartoons and hbo max are uh pretty good at capturing the spirit of the original looney tunes there's just no beating them and so uh, i've had this book sitting on my shelf for a while and so finally started to dig into it and so it's a uh, just a really detailed a glimpse into how the looney tunes came to be and how Warner Brothers animation grew out of this desire to kind of uh, break free from the mold of Disney and uh, circumstances just allowed them to come together and have this surprising amount of freedom because uh, at the time when these shorts were being made, no one really cared about them. They weren't receiving a ton of critical acclaim. They were kind of seen as just distractions for kids to watch uh, before and in between 
uh, movies while their parents went out to the lobby and had a cigarette, you know? And so uh, it wasn't until like uh, critics, you know, started paying attention to them that they really uh, got noticed and were regarded as, you know, actual short films, you know, which is, which is what they are. And so it's just, it's really cool to just uh, dig into the circumstances of how it came together and just, uh, you know, getting a sense of the the artists behind these cartoons. And like, it, it makes me wish that like, you know, people like uh, Chuck Jones and Fritz Freeling and those kind of people were, uh, around in a way that we could have like a comprehensive documentary about Looney Tunes with their perspective. Cause now we're kind of left with just the historical aspect since it's been so long since mm-hmm. these, these shorts were created, but uh, it's a good read so far and I'm, I'm interested to keep uh, digging into it. So is it more of like a coffee table art heavy book or is it more of like a narrative kind of, um, you know, like a word heavy book, I guess, for lack of a better term. It's kind of a good balance of the two actually. Cause like some, art books uh, are dominated by like pictures. And while there are great, uh, you know, two page spreads of certain pieces of art and plenty of pictures of uh, the beautiful backgrounds they created and cells and uh, sketches and whatnot, there's, there's a detailed uh, chronicle of Warner brothers animation and how it rose to, to fame and uh, became what we all know it as. Awesome. Okay. So that's called, that's all folks, the art of Warner brothers animation. If people want to check that out. sounds like uh, a recommend from Brad, even though he's not quite done with it yet. Um, all right, let's get into what we've been watching. Brad, what have you been watching? Well, I guess the, the thing that both of us saw was uh, Dr. Strange and the multiverse of madness. What did you think about it? Yeah, I, I really enjoy it. Uh, the movie is not without some problems, uh, it has a messy story, a little bit convoluted and some things don't necessarily feel like they land as firmly as they should and feel kind of just like, spectacle and fan service for the sake of spectacle and fan service but i think honestly like the presence of sam raimi's style even though it's not like a full-on sam raimi romp is enough to keep it interesting and do a lot of weird things that you don't normally see in marvel and it's just there's a lot of gnarly metal moments just really cool uh set pieces that have raimi's horror tastes applied fully to them uh, some wa- weird choices that you just don't normally see in Marvel movies like this. And so Marvel let him be enough of himself uh, while still sticking to like the expected Marvel formula to deliver something that's really entertaining, even if narratively it leaves something to to be desired. So I everything that you sort of laid out there as like caveats that you acknowledge as being issues with the movie are things that I just simply bumped on a little bit more than you. So then it it tipped me over into the camp of like not really enjoying this movie that much because I I got so hung up on all of those little things. I mean, I feel like the emotional core for this movie just is not really there, whether it's the, the America Chavez character who just doesn't really feel fleshed out or interesting to me almost at all. And I think Marvel has done a really good job up until this point, especially with its character work, especially with its young female character work. If you look at something like Hawkeye or even Black Widow with Florence Pugh, like they, they know how to do this. Um, And I just think they sort of dropped the ball with America Chavez. And then also, on the Doctor Strange front, the, the character angle there, the idea of like him and Christine as you know having this uh, you know this like um, generation defining romance or something is just kind of laughable, and and the movie um, I don't I don't know it, it almost like wants you to believe that that no it definitely wants you to believe that that romance is is more um, potent than it ever was on on screen before. Um, so without really doing the work to get there, it just the whole thing kind of feels super, super shaky to me. And um, 
And I also, Brad, something that I haven't really seen brought up very much, and this is like a kind of a dumb thing for me to complain about in in this movie and definitely kind of a nitpick and and it cuts to the core of like the very (laughs) concept of what this movie is. But when you have Doctor Strange and Wanda in the same movie and both of their powers are just, um, or both of their uh, their superhero skill sets involve um, swirling their hands around and uh, magic lights coming out of them and like sometimes blasting beams at each other and things like that. It's just goofy in a way that um, a lot of the other Marvel stuff isn't and and actually has done a good job of, of sort of grounding things where even if characters' powers are are a little ridiculous, it's sort of the movies or, or some of the stories that they find themselves in tend to be... Uh, grounded in a way where it's like uh, there's recognizable human emotions and in, in um, <laughs> more in the forefront than they are in this movie. Um, so I just found myself getting distracted by a lot of that stuff. And uh, especially, you know, when, when you're not invested on a character level, you, all of the, the other things, you know, characters waving their arms around and, and shooting light and all that stuff seems more silly because if you were invested, then you would care a little bit more. So I I just found myself um, really uh, thinking that this was pretty much a gigantic miss all the way across the board just for me. Um, But I know it's been really divisive for people. Yeah. I think I I disagree slightly with you there because I do do think even though I, uh, I don't like uh, the fact that these, this character arc for Wanda comes along so soon after WandaVision, I think that Elizabeth Olsen does a really good job of delivering an emotional core because her performance is, it really is great in this movie. Um, and I also think that even though the the magic is uh, silly, I, I liked how creative they were with it this time. Like there's just cool, I like the little flourishes of like Dr. Strange quickly opening up a portal to have some weird fish creature grab like a piece of debris from hurting somebody or using monster hands to grab a a light post. uh, And that the music fight between uh, Strange and the the dark version of Dr. Strange was was cool stuff. So like I I like little things like that. Yeah, I just I wish that there was like the entire movie was that like that that um, I think, you know, I uh, the wizard battle between I think it was between Dr. Strange and Thanos in Infinity War. Uh, it's been a long time since I've seen Infinity War, but those two characters sort of like going back and forth in really creative ways with magic, I thought was um, was the kind of thing that I was hoping that this movie would do, you know, all the way through. And it just felt like there were little glimpses, like you said, of, oh, that was a cool little moment. That was a cool little moment. But the majority of it to me just felt um yeah, I guess a little bland in terms of, you know, for something called the multiverse of madness, I just expected it to be a little bit more heightened and and creative with its, like that music thing you mentioned, that's so cool. But I just wish there was more of that, like all the way throughout the movie. But, uh, you know, what can you do? So (laughs) uh, what else have you been watching, Brad? I've also been watching uh, The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, the Nicolas Cage comedy where he plays uh, himself more or less and Pedro Pascal plays this uh, rich guy who has paid to have him appear at his birthday party and it turns into this uh, plot of intrigue where Nicolas Cage gets caught up in an actual uh, you know drug cartel situation and kind of has to uh, get involved in a situation that many of his characters have in his movies and man this this movie like uh, it's it's better than it has any right to be you know uh, Cage really sells it and playing this version of himself that 
uh, you believe, you know, is himself, even if it's, if it's definitely exaggerated. And it's just, it's just a lot of fun. Both Pedro Pascal and Nicolas Cage are great together. And uh, I just enjoyed the hell out of it. The, you know, not just the references to Nicolas Cage movies, uh, but to other movies. Um, another One of which I actually saw recently for the first time, which we'll get to in, in a little bit here. Um, but yeah, just, uh, just good stuff. I, if it's still playing in theaters near you, it might've been kicked out because of Dr. Strange uh, invading every multiplex uh, near you, then uh, you should still go out of your way to see it. Do you think that it's um, a requirement to have seen, you know, a huge percentage of Nicolas Cage movies to like, I guess are the, are the references in this movie um, integral to the plot in a way that, uh, that you're going to feel left out um, throughout a majority of the movie? Are they constantly making reference to stuff? Or is it like, if I've only seen, you know, the big sort of totemic Nicolas Cage movies, am I going to be fine? Yeah. You honestly only really need to see, uh, like the biggest ones, like uh, Con Air, Face Off, like the the most famous Nicolas Cage stuff. There are amusing little uh, obscure references to movies that you probably haven't seen, like Captain Corelli's Mandolin. Like there's just a hilarious name drop of. Um, but no, if you if you've seen like the big staples of Nicolas Cage's career and you just understand his vibe uh, as an actor, you will you'll undoubtedly uh, enjoy this movie. Awesome. Uh, what else have you been checking out? I also saw Ambulance. I actually did a double feature with Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, which is fun because there are references to The Rock in both movies. <laughs> um, and uh, man, I had so much fun with this movie. Like it's it's it was nice to have a Michael Bay movie back on the big screen again. It's it's big. It's bombastic. Jake Gyllenhaal gives like a madcap performance. He's just off the wall. And honestly, like one of the coolest things about it, even though he's a little uh haphazard and excessive with it which is like you know mike michael bay's trademark uh but michael bay figured out how to use drones in a crazy way in his movies to the point where he's like zooming the camera down the side of skyscrapers uh through tunnels like and like he pulls off these like really fast sweeping shots in the uh following the the ambulance being chased through los angeles and uh there's times when like a his music video style where it's like kind of like random cuts and too fast and you kind of wish the shot would go on a little bit longer um but like man if filmmakers can start using drones in this way for like action movies and use them in a little bit more of a uh a, a honed uh, capacity i think that they could really do uh some cool stuff in action movies and honestly like the best thing about this is it was nice to watch an action movie where the action and the the speed with which it's presented um felt tangible like, like none of the shots that Michael Bay uses of Los Angeles or anything like that are digital or created with visual effects. And it reminded me how much I love seeing a camera used in this way where you get these shots and you're actually pulling them off. Because there's a there really is a different feeling of seeing a camera sweep through a real environment as opposed to pulling off wild shots through a digital environment where you can tell things have been created or manipulated by visual effects. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it really makes ambulance feel that much more grounded and realistic as, as a blockbuster, even if it is this, you know, high concept, uh, you know, action blockbuster. So I, I really wish that sometimes filmmakers would not necessarily use all the visual effects tools that they have at their disposal. Cause I feel like sometimes it keeps them from, being more innovative and coming up with practical solutions rather than being like, Oh, we'll fix it in post. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder the only question I have about this, cause I've not seen ambulance yet. I'm, I'm intrigued by it. Um, we'll see, maybe I can like sneak out to a, a matinee or something before it leaves theaters. But, um, 
is there an over-reliance on the drone thing? Does, does it feel like Michael Bay was like, oh, a new toy, I'm only going to use this in this movie? Or do you think that, <laughs> like, does Michael Bay, against all odds, actually show some sort of restraint here? Uh, I wouldn't say restraint because he, he he uses it a lot, but, like, he he's cutting so much when it comes to, like, the kind when he's using the footage. But, like, they're, uh, it's not all the time. You know, it's, it's no more... Uh, frenetic than any other Michael Bay movie, you know, okay. he, he just has a little, um, you know, a little bit of an extra kind of shot that he uses the drone for. And so it can be a little excessive, but it's by no means like happening all throughout the entire movie. You know, it's, okay. it's just one of the many shots that he uses. Gotcha. Yeah, I was curious about that. Okay. Uh, what else have you been watching? Uh, I also watched Shithouse, uh, which is the the movie from Cooper uh, Rafe, who uh, you might have heard about because he recently had a movie that played Sundance and South by Southwest called Cha Cha Real Smooth. Uh, that got picked up and will be coming out later this year. And so I wanted to see uh, what he did with uh, his movie that came out back in 2020, I think it was. Yes. Um, and that also played South by Southwest. And uh, Cooper, Cooper Rafe, man, he's, he's super charming in Cha Cha Real Smooth. And he has that same... Uh, charm in this in this his first movie that he did uh, Shithouse which he also wrote and directed and I I just I hope that he like really breaks out and like gets to do some major movies I would love to see him in you know a studio rom-com I would love to see him do like straight up comedies it sucks that studios aren't really making these movies anymore which is probably why Cooper is making these movies uh, himself on the indie circuit Uh, but man he is just delightful and he you know he writes characters in such a genuine authentic way uh, and the relationships and uh, dynamic between him and like the, you know, the, the love interest in these movies. Um, and it's, yeah, Shithouse, it's just, you can really see like, uh, it's the predecessor to, to Cha-Cha Real Smooth in so many ways. Uh, and it's almost like he has kind of like this charming, uh, less raunchy Kevin Smith kind of feel to him, I think. Uh, and I, I really like uh, seeing what he's done so far. And I hope that he continues to do stuff like this as his career, you know, grows. He kind of reminds me, like, I feel like in every friend group, there's like one person who can just charm their way into or out of any situation. Um, you know, that just a person who has that sort of innate thing. Um, and it might be you and your friend group, or or you might listen to this know exactly what I'm talking about. And and Cooper Rafe sort of has that um, that ineffable uh, quality to him. And and yeah, he, he just happens to also be a really talented um, storyteller and is able to sort of uh, weave these stories together. I've not seen Shithouse yet, Brad, but I'm really looking forward to watching it because I, I fell hard for Cha-Cha real smooth earlier. So yeah, I think um, you'll I think you'll really like Shithouse as well. Awesome. Okay, what else? Uh, I've recently I've decided to dive into some Jim Carrey movies that I haven't seen because there are a handful, uh, most of them older, some of them from the to, like the 2000s that uh, I just never got around to watching. And I felt like uh, kind of wrapping up uh, his filmography, especially since maybe he won't be doing it, acting as much in the near future. Um, and one of them was I Love You, Philip Morris, uh, which is the, the directorial debut of John Riqua and Glenn Ficarra. Um, if you know them, they've... Uh, worked on stuff like uh bad santa and the bad news bears remake but like they've also uh done stuff like um did they do crazy stupid love yes yes okay. uh, crazy, I, I was blanking on the title for some reason crazy stupid love uh focus whiskey tango foxtrot and so uh i watched this and i i wasn't expecting it to be as funny as it was it's it's essentially uh like a a dark darkly comedic super gay version of catch me if you can in a way 
uh, because okay, yeah, <laughs> well, it took me a second to like wrap my mind around that. <laughs> because the so it's it's based on a true story actually about this guy uh, named Stephen J. Russell that Jim Carrey plays, who was a, a con artist and was imprisoned multiple times for committing uh, various crimes from uh, stealing to fraud and and all these different things. And he falls in love with an inmate in prison named Philip Morris, played by Ewan McGregor. And so the movie chronicles their relationship and uh, Jim Carrey's attempts to hold on to that relationship while also uh, trying to pull off various schemes to keep, you know, a, a, a rich lifestyle and just kind of get by. And so uh, it's surprisingly funny. I, I, um, I didn't realize that it was uh, more comedic than than it uh, was presented because I thought this was going to be mostly dramatic. And even though it does have dramatic moments, it really does uh, play up a lot of things for, for laughs. So it's uh, super enjoyable. And uh, both Jim Carrey and Ewan McGregor are fantastic. So it holds up well, because this came out in like 2009, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Okay. Uh, well, I, I yeah, this is one that I skipped as well at the time. And um, now I'm excited to add it to my list. It's sort of been like hovering in my in the back of my Netflix queue for like 10 years or something. So maybe I'll kick it up to the top. Um, you also watched the Paddington movies, Brad. I did. You know, everyone has been ranting and raving about Paddington for so long. And I just kind of didn't buy into it, not because I didn't necessarily believe it, but just because I was just like, eh, you know, what, whatever, I'll get around to them. I'm sure they're charming little family movies. And so I, um, because I, I know the the sequel was recently referenced in Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, I decided to uh, watch both of them. And, you know, they really are just delightful little movies. And I think one of the things I appreciate about them so much is if, if Pat, the Paddington movies had maybe been made um, in America, I think that they would be a lot more stupid and silly, like the Alvin and the Chipmunks movies, maybe. hundred percent, yes. But if there's one thing I think that Brits know how to do really well, it's make family entertainment that isn't extremely juvenile and geared towards kids with, like, toilet humor and slapstick and fart jokes. Even though there is some slapstick humor in these Paddington movies, uh, it's not overly done. It's not exaggerated and, and super silly. And it also helps that, you know, you just have an incredible cast, too, especially when it comes to the villains, you know, having uh, Nicole Kidman and Hugh Grant as as the villains and not having them be these uh, cartoonish caricatures in the most exaggerated way possible is great. They play them play them up just enough to be entertaining without going too far. Um, and, you know, Paddington himself is just a, such an, an innocently charming character who you just can't help but fall in love with. Uh, and the lessons are just so, so simple, but they're presented in such a way that you can't help but just feel uh, warmth in your heart. They're just so full of joy and just nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they really are. And man, Paddington 2 is just like a stone cold, a stone cold classic. I think the first one is like good and enjoyable, but the second one really like enhances everything that the first one does well and just takes it to another level. Um, so I'm... I'm very curious to see where this franchise goes uh, in the future. Cause I think Paul King, the writer question mark director, I know he directed both of them. I think he was a writer on both of them as well. Um, had to step away from the third one. So I'm not sure like what the, you know, if this is hovering in limbo somewhere, I don't know what the latest update on Paddington three is, but um, you know, fingers crossed that they figure that out soon because uh, yeah, like you said, just a, a true shot of joy. So 
Um, okay, so I'll just run through a couple things that I've been watching really quickly. Uh, have you been keeping up with Atlanta, Brad? Uh, so I've only watched the first few episodes of season three. I'd, I decided to kind of wait until they were finished and then just binge watch because that's how I watched the first two seasons. So mm-hmm. I'm just kind of waiting to see uh, when they're done. Yeah, I think, I don't know, I really like the show. I have not seen much reaction to what they're doing in season three. I have no idea whether people love it or hate it. Um, I imagine that it's fairly divisive because a lot of the season so far has been this balance between uh, episodes that are focused on the core group of characters led by Donald Glover and uh, Brian Tyree Henry and... Um, you know, several of the, the familiar uh, faces that you know from the first two seasons. But then there's also these sort of standalone, almost like anthology episodes that are sort of mixed in throughout the season. And I kind of love both of them. I I understand uh, an impulse to want the entire season to be following, like telling a narratively um, consistent, like through line following just these characters that we really care about. But um, I think every single episode thus thus far has had a lot on its mind and has been just like provocative and, and um, yeah, thought provoking in, in the best kind of way. It's like exactly what I want from an Atlanta experience. So uh, I know it's been a long time. The show, I think the second season aired in 2018. So it's been many, many years, but um, man, I just think the show is still like firing on all cylinders. So I'm, I'm excited to have it back in my life uh, on a weekly basis. And um, I know that the fourth season is going to be the last. And I think it's already been shot, if I remember right. And it might even be coming out later this year. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm excited to have, uh, to have Atlanta back. So if you're not watching it, it's on FX. I think it's streaming on Hulu as well. Yeah. And then uh, I've been catching up a little bit with um, Stanley Tucci searching for Italy, which is uh, I, I wrote about in an old uh, daily stream column on, on Slash Film uh, when the first season came out. And then uh, the second season just started not too long ago. Um, so I think there's only been two episodes thus far, but it's very much more of the same um, where Tucci is basically just taking over sort of the Anthony Bourdain mantle of like a CNN host of a travel show, um, you know, digging into the food and and all the regions and everything of of Italy. And it's sort of a, a cross section of like history mixed with uh, culture and and a, a huge focus on food, which, um, you know, Stanley Tucci is great. So like the the charisma that he has and, and bouncing off of the locals and all of that stuff, it's just a really enjoyable uh, experience. This is like one of the only, maybe the only reality show that I watch. So, um, it, and it's more, it feels more like a, a documentary series or something than, uh, than the term reality show may, may imply, but, um, yeah, it's great stuff. If you're looking for, to fill that sort of Bourdain sized hole in your life, uh, and, you, and you have not watched Stanley Tucci searching for Italy, check that out. I think, the first season is on HBO Max. Or it was for a while there. Um, and then the the new episodes are airing on CNN. And then uh, Flight of the Concords, Brad. I'm catching up with that show. Have, did you watch this when it came out? This seems like something that would have been right up your alley. Oh, yeah, for sure. I love the show. So this is the first time you've watched Flight of the Concords? That's correct. Oh, yes, I, I knew who, you know, who they were uh, and all that. And, and I sort of was vaguely aware of Taika Waititi as, as somebody who was like, you know, involved with the making of the show. But this show, the first season came out in 2007, and he was not nearly the name that he is now. Um, I think he had only directed Eagle versus Shark at that point, or that was like around that same time. I think um, he, he might have done Boy by that point, too. 
Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. See, I haven't even seen those early films of his. So I was just sort of like, I knew him because people that I liked in the, in the uh, comedy community respected the show and, and mentioned all that. And the reason I actually got around to finally watching Flight of the Concords now is because uh, Reese Darby, who starred in um, Our Flag Means Death, the, the pirate comedy series, uh, my wife and I enjoyed that show so much that we were looking for uh, more of him uh, on TV and realized that he was the band manager in Flight of the Concord. So we finally decided to, to check that out. And he really is like the MVP of the show. I mean, the, the, the main guys, uh, Brett and Jermaine, are, are very funny, but um, uh, it, it just seeing Reese Darby, like every time he, he calls a band meeting and all of that, it just, you know, it, it brings such a, a huge smile to my face. So um, we finished the first season and I think we're only like one or two episodes into season two right now. Um, what but yeah, treat. just like, we have really, really enjoyable stuff. I mean, um, it's actually like, because it came out in 2007, I was a little worried about how some of the comedy might hold up, you know, through a, a 2022 lens. And there are like a couple little moments where I'm like, ah, they'd probably do something a little bit differently today, which is like par for the course for any comedy, I think. But this holds up really well, uh, considering there's actually the one episode with, um, God, what is her name? Uh, Eliza Coop from uh, from Happy Endings. Yeah, yeah. That uh, I don't know if you remember this episode, Brad, but like she plays this woman who tries to uh, to sleep with Brett, and she like pressures him, and it, it's it's this whole thing that that sort of turns the the trope on it on its head. The familiar imagery that we've seen of like you know a guy just being a complete shit heel and and trying to like force women into having sex and. This episode is just a full-on commentary on that, and and it flips the the genders in a really interesting way. Um, and uh, I, I thought that was kind of like a, a bold thing to do for 2007. I don't remember seeing a lot of um, a lot of comedies handling or, or sort of like addressing that topic in that way at that time. So yeah, um, yeah, Flight of the Concords. It's on HBO Max. It's very funny, uh, really pretty goofy. But um, if you're looking for more. Uh, Reese Darby right after Our Flag Means Death. I, I highly, highly recommend it. Um, all right, that's it for me, Brad. What have you been eating? Yeah, let's dig into some snacks because that's what I do. Um, so I recently tried a, a cereal that I grabbed when I took my trip to Texas not too long ago. Um, the grocery store chain in Texas, uh, HEB, they have some exclusive things you can only get there. And I always see them posted on other Instagrams who follow snacks and stuff like that. And then stuff that I always want to try, but I can't because I don't live in Texas. We're uh, the, the only place in the U.S. where you can find HEB stores. And so I brought back some cereals. Uh, I've, I've talked about some of them, I think, already. But uh, one of the ones I haven't yet is uh, Trace Leche cereal, which is based on the, uh, the famed dessert. And man, this cereal is so good. It's like... Uh, honey bunches of oats but with the uh, tres leches flavor it has these like um frosted uh flakes in it as well as granola and then some of the granola flakes have like a layer of yogurt covering them and the milk afterwards tastes just like uh tres leches as well so really good you can only get it at heb uh i wish i could get more but i'll just have to wait until i go to texas again i guess excellent <clears throat> and then uh, i'm gonna go on a run of a bunch of uh, new drinks that I've tried. There's been like a, a cavalcade of various kinds of sodas and uh, juices and even a couple alcoholic beverages that I got my hands on. Um, so Jack Daniels has some canned cocktails, uh, but they haven't been immediately available in my area, even though they've been out for a while. So some of this might not be new to you, but this is new to me. And I finally stumbled upon them and they're uh, Jack Daniels apple fizz and Jack Daniels Honey Lemonade. And so each of them uses uh, a different Jack Daniels flavor. Uh, obviously, the one uses Jack Daniels Honey Jack, and then the other one uses the Jack Daniels Apple flavor. 
And these are just a mix of the liquor with a, a drink formula in a can. Uh, I was most excited to try the Apple Fizz, but I was a little bit disappointed because uh, it's mixed with uh, soda and a twist of lemon. But the soda, I think, is more uh, soda water than actual soda, than like like a citrus soda or something like that. And I think it would have been better if they used like a a Sprite kind of soda or even like mm-hmm. an apple soda or something like that. So like it doesn't really have as strong as a, of a flavor as I was hoping. Uh, on the other hand, the honey lemonade is awesome. Uh, I love honey Jack Daniels and mixing it with lemonade is so good. It's like, it doesn't even taste like there's alcohol in it. It's super refreshing. It's super tasty. It would be like a perfect canned cocktail to have like during the summer, if you're out on the beach or a picnic, what have you. Uh, and like, it's, it's really good. I would definitely get that again. Excellent. Man, that sounds uh, pretty good. <laughs> yeah. I think there's a thing too where like some alcoholic drinks don't quickly make it into certain states. I, I don't know. I think it's based on like regulation and, and like uh, licenses and stuff like that because <laughs> uh, there's there, uh, there's a hard coffee that I think I talked about like on, a, on an episode um, by a company called uh, Rebel Hard Coffee. And for whatever reason, uh, certain... Uh, flavors aren't available in my state in Indiana immediately, but they're available in Illinois. Like they had like a special Christmas flavored pack with like uh, peppermint, hard coffee and uh, cinnamon sugar cookie and stuff like that. And I had to go to a Jewel Osco in Illinois to actually get them because they weren't anywhere in Indiana. You know, I bet we have somebody who's listening right now who works in that industry who could like shed some light on this. So if you know anything about why this is the way it is, email us at peter at slash That would that would be great. There you go. Uh, also tried a new Sunkiss flavor. They have mango orange out there right now. Uh, when it comes to the choice between Sunkissed and Fanta or Crush, uh, I think that typically they're like fruit flavored sodas are better. Um, and this mango orange one is pretty good. Uh, not quite as good as the Fanta mango, which is another uh, drink that's actually harder to find in my area. Cause it's more readily seen in like the, the warmer tropical kind of climates. Like I first, I first saw it when I was in Florida one time, so you can probably get it down there pretty easily, Ben. Hmm. Um, but it's not up here anywhere without like really trying to figure out who has it in stock. But, uh, this mango orange one seems like it's available everywhere. I found it at Walmart and, uh, it's, it's pretty good. It'll, it'll satisfy me until I can get more Fanta mango. <laughs> okay. What else? Uh, there's a uh, two new Mountain Dew flavors, uh, flying around out there, but they're both kind of similar and they're chasing, a flavor of Mountain Dew that I wish that they would just bring back. So there's Mountain Dew Purple Thunder, which is a Circle K exclusive. You can get it in fountain drinks or in bottles. And then there's Mountain Dew Legend, which you can only get uh, in from fountain at Buffalo Wild Wings location. <laughs> wow, what a specific thing. Yeah, they, Mountain Dew has been doing a bunch of like exclusive partnerships where you can only get flavors at certain uh, places. So um, they're both have echoes of the pitch black Mountain Dew, which was the great flavored Mountain Dew that was released a while back, but has been discontinued for a long time. Uh, A lot of people keep telling Mountain Dew they want them back. And I feel like this is kind of their way of being like, well, we're not doing that yet. But like here, here's something similar because they both kind of taste like pitch black Mountain Dew. Uh, The Purple Thunder one is actually a berry plum flavor. uh, And so but it has that grape kind of feel to it mm-hmm. um it's not quite as sharp of a grape flavor i would say like it doesn't taste like grape soda but it tastes grape-esque uh and the same with mountain dew legend mountain dew legend has a little bit more of 
uh, a bite to it as far as like the flavor with with the carbonation. Um, and that one's just a, a blackberry Mountain Dew flavor. So uh, yeah, they're both pretty good. This, I, I really did still just wish they would bring back Pitch Black because it was a very good, great Mountain Dew. But I guess these will do in the meantime. <laughs> okay, so next up is Blood Orange Brisk. Is Brisk tea is it iced tea yeah is that is? yeah okay. so yeah lipton brisket like they have a whole line of like bottled uh tea flavors they you know there's the standby of like uh sweet tea and then iced tea with with lemon um and and whatnot but they also have these like uh green tea flavors of like uh fruit punch with with green tea or like watermelon with green tea but the thing is about these flavors is they don't really taste like tea they just taste like fruit juices essentially uh and that's very much the case with the new blood orange brisk it just tastes like a delicious fruit juice as opposed to actually uh being mixed with any tea you know whether it's green tea black tea what have you but <laughs> but it is very good it's uh it's kind of reminiscent of like getting orange high sea from a fountain like at mcdonald's or something like that yeah uh very sweet very tropical um and that one uh you can only get at 7-eleven or speedway locations and uh, in addition to having it in the big bottles they also have um a uh a, a slushy icy version of it and then you can also get it from the fountains as well Okay, and then this last one, I'm very confused about what this means. <laughs> this is just a, a new Twizzlers flavor. Um, you, the the you know. Like... Oh, okay, I was thinking it was a drink. Because uh, man, you've I, written... I, I wish that would be awesome. <laughs> you've written down Twizzlers Tropical Blast and all of these other things you were just talking about were drinks, and I thought that the uh, the drink train was continuing here. But okay, we've we've shifted gears. No, I, yeah, I wanted to fit a little more of like a, a movie friendly snack in here, I guess, and so. <laughs> Uh, a new flavor of Twizzlers, the the licorice. It's tropical blast, uh, and it's it's the, it's the normal. Um, not, not even they're not even like the regular Twizzlers. They're a little bit like softer and chewier than the regular Twizzlers, uh, but this is one of their filled twists variants. So it has um, like a, a a layer of um, I, I don't know what <laughs> I would I guess just just it's not goo, but it's like a soft gummy interior. Yeah, it's like almost it's like in between a goo and a cream or something. Almost. Yeah, it's yeah, weird. yeah. Because it's not it's not runny like a goo, but it's like super soft, like, you know. <laughs> but but anyway, the flavor inside is uh, a mix of pink guava and paradise punch, and this is like the the best new Twizzler flavor that I've had in in a while. These are these are really really good. Um, that really does have like just a tropical flavor to it, and uh, yeah, if you haven't tried them yet, you can find them at you should be able to find them in like the regular candy out. I found them at Walmart and Walgreens with the rest of the licorice, but they're, they're soft and chewy. And just like every other version of Twizzlers, they're better than red vines. So <laughs> oh, shots fired. Um, do you, when you go to the movies, do you, are you like one of those people that like, you know, stocks up at, uh, you know, a convenience store or whatever, and just like smuggles it into the theater? Uh, it depends. Sometimes like I'm in the mood for movie theater popcorn or, uh, and like having a big fountain drink. But if I want something more specific, like sometimes if I have something that is chocolatey, I'm the kind of person who like, I need to have it with like milk or something like that. So I'll, mm-hmm. I'll sneak in like a chocolatey snack within like, with like a small bottle of, uh, of milk into the theater. But, um, but yeah, it just depends <laughs> on what dedication. I'm it is. It is. I love it. Okay, cool. Uh, well, yeah, I was, I didn't know if like, this uh, Twizzlers Tropical Blast would be sold at AMC's or something, or if, if AMC like just sticks with the classics and doesn't really mess with these new newfangled flavors or what. But yeah, I doubt it because I they usually don't get like these the the limited edition flavors. It's usually only in like gas stations and grocery stores. 
Okay, well that's Twizzler's Tropical Blast and uh, Brad gives it a hearty recommendation. I think that's going to do it for today's episode of Slash Film Daily. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, This podcast is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. And again, send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, or mailback topics to us at peter at slashfilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air don't forget to rate and review the show on apple Podcasts. that would really help us out a lot tell your friends spread the word thanks for listening and we will talk to you tomorrow this is the story of the one as a maintenance engineer he hears things differently to the untrained ear everything on his shop floor might sound fine but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping so he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand and he knows granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.